Yo, let's go. Beam me up. We're no Sully, and we got Matthew Kapolitz from Trek Untold. Welcome. Greetings and salutation, my fellow Trekkie friend. I'll show it now. I'm doing both uh, Live Long and Prosper with both fingers, so that's always fun. <laughs> oh, very nice. Yeah, you're ambidextrous at that. It was a lot of practice. Uh, I lucked out at just at a young age of saying, hmm, maybe I can try and trick my hand into being not having to be one hand reliant. And that didn't work out, but you can still <laughs> do spread it out to where it look, you know, you know, you can do the famous Vulcan phrase. But um yeah, no, you you've been staying busy. I, I'm always blown away by every guest that you take on because again, you know, you strip away the costumes and shiny uniforms and it's like yeah these guys have been breaking their back for who knows how many decades and uh it's always interesting which ones have found had a respectable reputation versus which ones have been kind of invisible but happy for the privacy and just long career <laughs> yeah i'd say that's thing a lot of folks kind of like misconstrue about a lot of these character actors especially is like so many of them have done a ton of things in their lives and, you know, a big part of Trek Untold is kind of giving them their spotlight and making sure that they do feel respected for what they do. Because at the end of the day, it is those character actors in particular who help elevate the main crew members. I mean, they need these people to help fill out the show, help fill out the ship as well, but also just give other people to work off of, have, have different kind of back and forths. And yeah, everybody, you know, whether they stay in the industry or they do other things as well, because quite often that's the case too. Yeah, uh, They've always got their musicians. stories to tell. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely and i like how you've actually just squiggled around to just even the authors and merchandise guys too you know it's like that's those are the little guys who don't get enough credit it's just like yeah they pitched that at a meeting and sold who knows how many units of that product and you know it started <laughs> even weirder how it made merchandise after it was into syndication which is so weird since the market at that time was whatever's on you know yep you make a figure now and it's like somehow it <laughs> struck gold a second time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and that's kind of the thing is to expand, you know, because my show isn't just like all the actors. It's also a lot of the other people, uh, as you mentioned, you know, outside of the actual filmed produced shows and that's authors and comic book artists in some cases. And uh, yeah, right now I'm actually doing another batch of recordings for my upcoming fourth season of the podcast. And there's definitely going to be, you know, a fair share of actors and performers, but we're going way deeper than that. There, there's going to be some types of guests I think are going to be a little bit more surprising. Absolutely. Uh, and it's cool to just even see the uh, which of them later be directed a bunch of episodes of the show, let alone blindly engaged it. You know, like the, the Bernie cases of the world were like, hey, I want to work with that actor. I don't really follow what the sci-fi mumbo jumbo is. And then lo and behold, now they're honored as part of the uh dill <laughs> that's usually how it goes too yeah a lot of them might come in like some of them are truck fans others are not but once they step into the franchise they kind of like understand oh this is what this means to so many people now i get it mm -hmm. and now they have that respect for the franchise and for star trek and for star trek fans and it's really cool to see like the majority of the people who i've talked to and the majority of people who i've met who are involved in trek at any level um you know they might not call themselves hardcore trekkies but they appreciate it they appreciate the fans and um, they are among the friendliest people that you could possibly meet at a Comic-Con. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, you need that kind of humor. You need that kind of guy who's like, hey, you know, I gave it my best shot. <laughs> Absolutely. Man, man, oh, man. Uh, all together, I mean, um, 
Uh, so uh, this, this was a cool idea. We were, <laughs> uh, thanks to Matt's uh, last minute uh, genius, it, it, we were just going back and forth. It's like, hey, how about we do this and that? And then we're just like, oh, yeah, we... <laughs> Do, do we dare tell them what our original plans were? I, I will. I will. <laughs> so, <laughs> I went in too ham-fisted. I, I, I basically pulled a Kobayashi Maru, and I just decided, yeah, we can do this and that. How about we go into the like it or hate it uh, infamous uh, uh, book trilogy? It started out as a comic tie-in, and then they did like a like three books, and I think they did like six other follow-up books, and it's questioned as to whether or not it's canon or not. I had read like the first one and had a foreword by Jonathan Franks. But for those that don't know, yes, William Shatner decided, hey, how about I make some extra bank and bring Kirk, have him still be alive in the Nexus uh, mon uh, monstrosity at the end of Generations, and they got to save him, and then we're going to have Mir Spog and other sorts of stuff that Picard and company got to do, and it's just like, Ooh, I can't even keep up. And uh, please tell me this is camp. Oh no. Okay. Well, <laughs> and you just—I loved how you just flat out just said right up. It's like, uh, yeah, no, I—I'm not gonna make time. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, let's be real here. Like, I, I don't think any of us have time to read more than one book written by William Shatner, let alone multiple books by William Shatner. Yeah. I, I'd rather have been on the actual Kobayashi Maru than have to sit through all that. Absolutely. It, yeah, I'd rather be part of the shit star. You know? <laughs> it's kind of like how uh some it's got it just only reminded me even further how part five is kind of getting reevaluated because strange new worlds is fixing some of the plot holes in it <laughs> involving right which is the weirdest thing <laughs> uh, yeah i mean I, I applaud them i mean it's just kind of like they finally established what the hell happened to b4 in lore at the end of picard season three instead of just saying hey well uh you'll never see him again <laughs> That's uh, the fun of extended Star Trek. Absolutely. And kudos to them. You know, I see so many franchises just want to ignore and be trivial and divide their audience. They're like, no, we're going to solve all the problems. There are no more problems anymore. We beamed them up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you, you've said at length, you know, just how you got into track before. And it's just, it's really just catchy how it went. And it just seems to always go in stages. It's it's always a new generation for every generation. That's um that that's the man. The marketing department should hire me. That that's the best way to put it. I think though. <laughs> well, yeah, you're you're really good at scouting. I, uh, whenever I do an interview, I just interviewed Matt Gallant of ESPN and Plans Funniest Animals. Now, there's a trip back in time <laughs> uh, to Hit Wonder, and it was cool to just see how, uh, just when you. And people are always asking me, how do you find these various people? And I'm like, you hunt them down, minus the maiming and killing part. Well, speak for yourself on that. Uh oh, <laughs> you rather I say stalking? <laughs> I, I consider myself like, you know, I know I'm, I'm doing the Star Trek franchise, but uh, to paraphrase from Star Wars, I, I'm definitely the Mandalorian equivalent when it comes to finding guests. Absolutely. Uh, no, that, that's just, well, in... I'm sorry, I'm at a loss of words, but that's cool to just be able to break them down and just say, hey, you know, we want to talk to you more than just about, hey, what is probably one of the many guest spots that comes up first on your resume. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got to do your homework. That's, that's the key. Yeah, totally. And I'm sure some actors are thankful, but I'm sure plenty of others is like, yeah, now can I get asked for something else that people talk about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but and I, I do like how some of them have even just talked in other interviews, like James Horan's a very accomplished video game and cartoon voice actor, but 
all tractors are all going to go crazy over him because he's done like at least eight different parts, including two recurring ones. So yeah, yeah the um, world of Trek is never ending. Absolutely, and thank God. Um, so yeah, we uh, yeah yeah you made a good point. Is like let's just uh, let's dissect why why the hell let's not suffer as much. <laughs> not suffer. Let's just. Uh, let's do a different kind of uh, constructive uh, summary is like where we're always trying to figure out uh, last time we were trying to figure out some of the gatekeeping on Star Trek and why some of the reboot movies both reignited the franchise and still kind of felt less track or something. And uh, in this case, now we're just like, OK, so when did the odd and even number rule kind of become a thing? Because that mm. is still is a thing and people have tried to justify it, even though there's plenty who seem to like you know, search for Spock and um, uh, even Generations and uh, Nemesis. So, or no, actually not. Ne- well, no, and then no, no. In that case, maybe not. But uh, then there's even the motion picture dividing some people. It's slow for others and others are like, oh, it's a visual feast. So, yeah, I'm. it's uh, but, uh, you know, we, we I mean, all have one that we're going to defend, even though other people absolutely hate it. So I'm. <laughs> And I'm surprised they haven't done it with the shows. Hey, the you know whichever show came first. <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of folks who are like that, but really, it, it was the movies that started it. It was the original series movies that, uh, I mean, it didn't take too long to start figuring out. Okay, well, for whatever reason, the odd are not quite as good necessarily as the even, and uh, it, it's kind of weird how that did continue for quite some time. But that's just the case of uh, <laughs> man, a number of different factors. It reminds me of different shows that would get kind of spoiled they just didn't have an end game of how long they were going to be on the air yeah and you know with the star trek movies i feel like at a certain point they kind of had some ideas of where they were going but then they just kept going and they kept going and it's not a bad thing ultimately because it did lead to ultimately the next generation kicking off because there was still popularity around the series and a demand for it but uh yeah there definitely was a point where they're like okay well well, let's let Shatner direct a movie. And that's kind of the moment where they're like, oh, okay, we really have no direction at this point. So (laughs) (laughs) it's an interesting chronological journey. It does make you wonder what would have happened had they just stopped after four and then come back later and then offered him more money. And that that seems to always be the thing. Like there are times when they wanted him back on other places. And you're like, I'm glad that didn't happen either because that would have made even less sense. Like they wanted him back in general in a enterprise season four as a, mirror universe villain and i was like how are you going to even make him look young again (laughs) i mean really the series was probably supposed to stop by the end of one even though they did have you know hope that it would continue on but you know really if you do look at one you'll see it's fairly different in many many ways and and they were you know that was also roddenberry's kind of like way to start kicking off what he hoped would have been his actual next generation at the time which was star trek phase two phase two yep 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 and that went nowhere. So luckily, it's a good yeah. thing, to be honest. I mean, that's frankly a very good thing that Phase 2 uh, tried to pave the way, but it got hit by many roadblocks. And that's a really a best-case scenario because ultimately it meant that there was more time to fine-tune it many years later into an era where there's better special effects and better actors and better everything, really. And uh, that was essentially, you know, Phase 2 was the the precursor to TNG. <laughs> yep. And... It's even funnier just seeing even kind of the producing team. Are you team Roddenberry? Are you team Hart Bennett? Are you team Rick Berman? Are you team Abrams? Are you team Kurtzman? <laughs> I mean, yeah, every generation of Trek has had a different person behind it, different ideas, different yeah. thoughts. And um, 
you know, I don't think any of them were perfect. That's for sure. They all they all had their flubs along the way too. Mm-hmm. And but really, without all six of the movies, the good and the bad, we wouldn't have next gen. We wouldn't have had DS Nine. We certainly wouldn't have Discovery and Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks. So, you Not know, the movies yeah. really help keep things relevant and bring it back to popularity. Absolutely. And if anyone, I think of them kind of as a party sample. <laughs> Not <laughs> sure if you want the whole bag of french fries or hershey's kisses but you say okay i'll buy one mini you know 12 pack you know see what i think and oh it was a hit well oh oh, i met five other people who are big fans of this i guess i better buy more of these oh now i'm a fan (laughs) kind of slowly spreads and trickles down after a while i mean even people who never kept up with it i think they all kind of get general references it's funny just even just seeing tv buffs who maybe seen maybe I don't know, 10 episodes, and that was enough for them, and they instantly understand. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, okay. The overacting captain, that's a Shatner reference. Oh, the guy with ears, that's a Spock reference. And oh, man, a robot who's trying to be human, that's a data reference. You know, it's just all, it all goes in all different kinds of forms. <laughs> and what is Galaxy Quest if not for Star Trek? Am I right? Oh, yeah. Galaxy, uh, and um, uh, I, I even joked that uh, the fifth, uh, so if you were to even, I was joking around giving my my new bastardized like top 20 Star Treks. I went there. I combined the movies and shows. Then I put in some shows that are very track inspired, like The Expanse, Stargate, and Battle on Five. And then I replaced movie number five with uh, Enemy Mine. And I replaced huh. movie number one with uh, Forbidden Planet. <laughs> <laughs> Good choices. So, well, I, they're as track as you can get. And that's even though it's one inspired track and the other is just track influence. So, yeah, but yeah, you could put Galaxy Quest definitely in there. And I have seen people try and put it in there as a replacement for either five or even one of the later movies. Uh, which one do you think, just like universally accepted, you very rarely see anyone come up and say, okay, it's been 20 years, it doesn't hold up? Or. I think the only answer to that is Wrath of Khan. Star Trek right. 2 is uh, absolutely the one film where like it will never be looked upon in a bad light. Very it, nice. And it's also one of the only films in the genre uh, outside of First Contact if you want to go, you know, if we're talking now uh good movies, uh that that's not going to always be, you know, it's going to always be looked at very positively because it holds up outside of our sci-fi lens. Yes. Any sci-fi fan can walk into Wrath of Khan with very little knowledge of the Star Trek universe, and they're going to walk out having enjoyed the entire film. Same thing with First Contact. I know a lot of folks who've never watched Star Trek, or very little, but they know who the main characters are because it's part of the zeitgeist. But, you know, they'll go to First Contact and they'll be like, wow, this is a good movie. And yeah. Wrath of Khan, though, I I'd still would put over that because Wrath of Khan was very different. It really changed how Star Trek was viewed. You know, we might talk about Star Trek 1 a little bit more in depth as we go on here, but, you know, Star Trek 1 had a different kind of tone. It was in that post- Space Odyssey 2001 era, you know, and they were trying to copy a little bit of those elements. Star <laughs> Trek 2, they came back and they made drastic changes, mostly because it was helmed by Nicholas Meyer. And as yep. the story goes, the man did not like Star Trek. He really yeah. didn't watch any Star Trek, didn't care about Star Trek. And honestly, that kind of opened them up to a wider world. You know, I in other franchises, that. it's it's a negative thing to have somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about or, or not a fan of these things. But mm-hmm. luckily, the stars aligned uh, and somehow... Everything was able to come together and make an amazing Star Trek movie while also being an amazing movie, period. Oh, totally. I, I still use it as a reference whenever anyone's saying, that's not my Star Trek, and they're doing gatekeeping. I'm like, well, in all fairness, 
virtually all kinds of people came into this without any expertise. I mean, Jonathan Franks had never seen an episode before he got the role. Come on. (laughs) He just did it because his, you know, he needed a job and his wife was a big fan of the original. So there you go. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Uh, Which one do you think uh, gets unfairly hated in your opinion? Like you've seen it and you're like, okay, it may not make the top 10, but I see it quite regularly, even though it's not as great. So I got to start running through them all in my head, like one by one to decide which one doesn't suck and which one sucks the least, I guess. Um, I mean, you know, if we start at Star Trek one, I got to say this, the Star Trek, the motion picture. If you watch the first 45 minutes of it, it's actually really good. Yeah, it's very 2001-esque. <laughs> it's just the minute they take off and go into space that it falls apart because <laughs> everything up until then was actually pretty good, riveting and well paced. It's just the minute that they go out and they leave space dock and they do that like warp thing where all of time and space starts like stretching. Mm -hmm. It's such like that's where they're just kills momentum dead in its tracks. Yeah, which is ironic because it's supposed to be, you know, showing them speeding up and being interesting. And I'm just like, ugh. exactly. It just kills everything, kills all the momentum. And it really has a hard time getting it back. And by the time it does get something back towards the very end, it's a little too little, a little too late. And it really does feel too much, I think, kind of like an original series episode at that point. It's like, all right, well, we got to wrap this thing up. What's the solution going to be? Oh, it's this thing. And it is a kind of interesting way to wrap up the film with what the reveal is. But again, it took too long to get there. It overstayed its welcome. It's a long movie, too. Let's not forget. It. It's like over two hours long. And it the story feels... is very, very bare. Very loose. Yes. Yeah, it and... is. It's a, it's a lot of padding. It's very slow moving and plotting, not in the same way as like 2001. Or even, uh, you know, came out in the same year, Alien, the first Alien film. Right. That movie is very slow also, but it's brooding and it builds up to things. At least it's creepy and you feel like you're in the room versus, okay, I'm looking at my watch, you know. <laughs> like there was actual intent in what they did with Alien, whereas in Star Trek The Motion Picture, maybe they got too wrapped up in some of the space jargon and all the mm-hmm. protocol and it just took too long to get there. So one, no. Um, three, I'd <laughs> say probably gets unfairly maligned also. Three is pretty good. Three's not yeah. that bad. I mean, it's not as good. It's definitely not as good as two. Definitely. Uh, it's a tough act to follow, four. but I mean, it is. Yeah. Even then, just still a fun villain and a reasonable cause. So you understand, you know, it didn't feel like, hey, you know, desperation. <laughs> yeah. And the film actually moves along. I mean, there, there's it is a continuation of Wrath of Khan. So there's some of that ending happening there, too. I hate to say this. Every once in a while, I will see someone bash part four. I will see someone say, ah, it's not that funny anymore. I'm like, really? Interesting. <laughs> I've seen a lot of that, too. It tends to be like a lot of the younger fans, I think, who just like, I guess they don't so. get the humor as much because it is it is also an older sense of humor for that film. It's a little yeah, more tongue in cheek. Very Free Stooges-esque. Uh, I, I, I w- you would have thought the 80s sounding soundtrack would be enough. I mean, and it's referenced on like just about every other, uh, you know, there's reference on season two of Picard's reference in that Voyager two-parter, but that vaguely is that time travel villain. You know, so I would have thought it was already pretty adored as it is. But yeah, um, there are people who don't like it. They are they are wrong, but uh, they're allowed to have their opinion. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely, you know, it's I think the youth today would call it cringe. I believe I think that's the technical term for it. And yeah. uh, there definitely is some some humor that is cringy. But I mean, that was the time. It's what they did. And it is kind of meta before it's meta because it was bringing Star Trek into modern day, and that was a risk to do. But they they pulled it off, and they pulled it off in a fun way that that also really helped help the uh, the franchise. I think. Oh, totally! It showed kind of the humor that parents would always talk about and reference, but 
you know, unless you watched it, you didn't really get what they were talking about. And it is, uh, I'm still tempted to just see, you know, it's like, what would it have been like had they gone with the original casting choice, Eddie Murphy as the uh, <laughs> whale activist, but um, it's not preachy, I don't think, but um, nah. so I'm in the minority in this. I really, again, I don't think obviously it can't follow up to first contact, but I do watch insurrection quite a lot. I see a lot of people saying, oh, it's, would have been better as a two-parter i'm like i'm cool with that it would have been better as a two-parter but i i just in general like the villain and frank's back in the director's seat <laughs> but i get it yeah. it's also very slow and takes a while to even just show what the hell's going on <laughs> i definitely agree with that it does feel like a, a very long episode definitely a two-parter and that's not a bad thing i think just folks at the time really wanted to be bigger and they wanted to feel more like a movie and wasn't quite there but i, I, I think the 50 year old year journey yeah and i just loved how it's like spiner's like wrote nemesis he's like that's my baby and every, that was the one that divided next gen fans even more and he hates insurrection because he's barely in it i'm like really dude you literally start off the movie going berserk <laughs> yeah i mean personally one of the things i do like about that is uh jory laforge gets to do a little bit more yeah because throughout the other movies he is a non-factor but he detonates uh, the warp core instead of being a victim in movie one or being tech supported yeah. movie next gen movie two and yeah, I'm I'm with you and really doing nothing in Nemesis, really. Let's be let's be fair. Um, well, so yeah, in he all actually... fairness, he didn't want to be there after he was offered the director, and they're like, "Hey, let's go with someone who's never done track who actually doesn't want to do a good job." <laughs> it's like you know, basically the the beginning of the first half of the film, it's it's a little slow. It's not that interesting. It's watchable. It's definitely watchable, but it's not the most exciting. It's really the last act where it picks up and it really helps change things because, yeah, Jordy gets to do stuff. He gets to detonate the warp core. Hooray. He's one of the few folks who gets to do that. Yeah. Um, Riker gets to pilot the Enterprise. I mean, Riker's actually in charge of the Enterprise, which is a first. We get to see him in action commanding the Enterprise. And uh, Captain Picard also gets to have a little bit of fist fight, which is fun. He gets to fight Abraham. (laughs) Yep. Uh, he he get he I I do like how some Reddit guys have joked is like this is both the head and first contact is where Picard all of a sudden becomes John McClane in space. <laughs> I mean they did that before with Starship Mine uh, in TNG. Oh so yeah, it's not yeah, yeah, stuff either. <laughs> yeah, Mine was definitely yeah that was the beginning of it. Plenty of other hostage situations where he's done that, but yeah, I mean uh, it, it is very much kind of like Seven Samurai and Return of the Jedi, where he's like just save the villagers and. I guess you could say maybe the henchmen are boring. You know, it didn't need to be just robotic drones that they're blasting at. It's true, but they were kind of like, I think, trying to build a bigger thing because also an insurrection, they're kind of starting the potential downfall of the Federation. And it was kind of started to be teased a little bit in DS9 with the Maquis and all the fallout of the Dominion War. So the Enterprise, uh, rather, uh, the Federation is in shambles at this point, and there's a lot of distrust. So again, I go back to a lot of the folks who these days say like, you know, discovery is too dystopic or a strange new world is too dystopic and dark. Like, well, well, no, actually, because the TNG movies were starting to go in that direction. And they had been, uh, you know, Generations was still pretty light affair. But by first contact, everything's getting pretty dark. And it actually continues that. Nemesis pulled back on it a little bit because the focus was more with the Romulans and the big baddie. But again, it's a fairly dark movie in its tone and what's happening in it. And uh, I, yeah, Insurrection had that kind of had, was using that as the guideline. They kept going with that idea. And um, it's not terrible. It's definitely not terrible, but it's the kind of movie where uh, I can definitely skip the first 30, 40 minutes and then jump in <laughs> yeah. and not, not feel too bad about it. Yeah. Uh, although the humor is way better in there versus Nemesis, where I'm just like, okay, 
what why are they making these bizarre toasts at this wedding that's yeah no <laughs> Not well, i will say there's like some similarities i feel like between four and insurrection because again a lot of folks <laughs> didn't like four because there was so much humor and they wanted to have a big sci-fi epic considering what we just had for the first three star trek films four shows right. up and it's about whales and making jokes insurrection <laughs> tried to be the best of both worlds it tried to give us really good action uh, some things we've never seen before, like I said, with Riker actually commanding the Enterprise in a big battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Worf gets to be a heavy... <laughs> Worf gets to do things, he gets to blow stuff up, which is always fun to watch him do. And everybody's, you know, kind of like becoming younger in the process. So everybody's being more playful and goofy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that's the hardest part to balance is we're so used to seeing these characters be so stiff quite often. Not in a yeah. negative way, but just, you know, they're, they have to deal with serious topics. And all of a sudden, here's a movie where we are now sitting there for two hours watching uh watching Riker and Troy kind of like be teenagers again you know so oh, pretty t- much totally it's just it, it blows your mind a little bit they get their own corners as opposed to you know like a typical western or detective show which the around an average episode would be where it's like okay they're all three of them are going to talk and basically say you know one side of the same argument and then one of another one's going to come in and have a, you know, command or warning to issue. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. Really, we should have known we were in trouble the minute Riker shaved his beard. <laughs> right. He let his guard down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, uh, F. Murray Abrahams, Abraham's a fun villain. And I just, it, it seems like, I mean, I'll give him credit because you, you do look at the deleted scenes and you're kind of glad that they escape some of that and michael pillar actually got to you know write it for once because you know for a while he was just doing the season openers and closers for every other show (laughs) (laughs) oh man and uh pillar often the writer's room would often his motto was you know every writing session should be like a baseball game how we're going to get to that home run and how we're going to make it interesting without being repetitive and it's like i I do kind of wish that was still kind of the morale (laughs) is like you know what you want and how you're going to get it, but how can you create all these other obstacles and make just a fun resolution? <laughs> um, and Insurrection does its best to find that. It definitely does. It gives us a lot of resolutions. I mean, like, like we already talked about it in depth, I feel like, but, you know, Insurrection did give us a chance to see some new things. And once it finally got to where it wanted to go, it was a little bit exciting. I, I think another issue that the film had too, though, if, you know, if I can go back into us suffering and the film suffering, is that uh you know the sona they all looked way too similar and that made it a little bit hard to follow more of the political mm-hmm. plot because the insurrection's also balancing the fact that you know yes it's the federation collapsing and the sona and, and the stuff happening with their home planet um but it's it's like these are serious issues but at the same time we have all the teenage antics of wharf popping pimple uh, popping pimples <laughs> yeah there's that and i'm surprised it even got a pg rating with what risque stuff is in there by 90 standards and yeah but yeah, Greg Henry, who's often a bad boy playing a, one of the aliens' right hands with a change of heart. That was interesting. But like you say, him and Rick Worthy, you know, they're so heavily makeup. You're like, oh, well, it, it's tough making out their personas. So yeah, I, I do kind of wish, like you say, the makeup could have been a little less mutated Klingon-ish. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what, necessarily what the best solution would have been other than just like really different clothes or them just looking more different. It's it's kind of the problem you run into with the aliens is uh, you do need to make them look a bit different. I mean, that's if we're going to go into a different genre altogether, I mean, look at anime and how they, you know, all generally for the most part, typically characters will have similar facial, you know, designs across the board, but it's how they dress and what their hair looks like that really makes sure you can tell apart who they are. Uh, you know, like Dragon Ball as a franchise is a great example of that because so many of them have basically the exact same face. 
yes. it's everything else about them that helps you figure out who the heck they all are. And they, I mean, they're so interchangeable. But once they got the hair pieces on, it's all good. Uh, but with those <laughs> with those aliens, uh, the Sona from Insurrection, it's they are just way too close in appearance, and they sound too much alike. Also, that's the other problem too is they sound too similar. Um, I mean, granted, you know, F. Murray Abraham does does have his special cadence and his way of talking, mm-hmm. but it still wasn't quite enough. It needed some more to kind of help push it along. And and to be honest, you know, we really barely even care about the guy that's having a change of heart anyway. So that's yeah, true. there you go. <laughs> He's just kind of a last minute uh, PIS plot new stupidity. <laughs> he, like... he really does feel like, oh, hey, we need to add something in here to make this a little bit more interesting and make these guys somewhat redeemable, perhaps. I don't know. Um, it's it, it kind of needs to be fleshed out maybe a little bit more, maybe established a little bit better as the film went on. Yeah, uh, I mean, it seemed like he was just they just changed it last minute because they're like, well, if we don't make him this way, then he'll just be a body shield that Picard or Morpheus is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh so which so parts five and ten and I know we're kind of we're both not big on beyond. Uh it seems like those are kind of like tied for like the least favorites. Uh which do you think just gets more shit nowadays? Because you see some people trying to look for like deleted scenes in part five and try and enjoy it in a campy buddy movie way, and then you see others trying to say, you know, hey, you know. Part 10, it's fun as a data movie, but not good as a, you know, Romulan movie, yada, yada. I'm like, well, still, that's a half-ass movie. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I would say the Kelvin universe films are, are, are kind of exempt from the odd even number rule because the first Kelvin Star Trek was amazing. As, and we've already talked about it in depth. Go ahead and check out the archives of the Jack Overview show to find out more about that. But uh, yeah, you know, one was one was really great. Two was not as good, but is still pretty solid. Three was kind of stanky. Um, but I, I feel like Star Trek Beyond is kind of forgotten in the grand scheme of things because of the fact that it's in the Kelvin universe. It's not as talked about. I think it's on TV quite often just because it's whatever, but it's more accessible. It is. It is. And it's it's also really more or less non-canonical anyway. So it's kind of forgotten by Trek fans. I think five is the universally maligned film for so many, many reasons, and they're all well deserving. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, Chatner directing yeah. was not a good idea <laughs> what the hell shit and he kind of just stayed in that way i mean ever since he did a lot of camps uh movies and shows that he would direct and it's like help i mean we can keep laughing at this but if you really wanted to you could go the full potential <laughs> you know it's like almost like that pinocchio thing you have potential <laughs> i mean by this point um for the most part a good portion of the <laughs> I think at this point, a good portion of the original cast was not too happy with Chatner. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they were already on not so great terms. Now he's directing all of them. They got to be professional. But this is really kind of the beginning of that era. And and Scotty it, seems to get drunk for no reason. You're his... It's a lot. Of, like Scotty's banging his head on pipes and stuff. Like, why are there exposed pipes? I don't understand. But um, it, it's it's all over the place. There's a few good moments in Star Trek V. I think there are definitely a few really good moments in there, actually. But it's not enough to hold up a movie. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, like like for me, I, I will say one of the best moments, it's a very quiet moment, and it's when Cybok is kind of like going at everybody's heads and, and doing his Cybok thing, and McCoy is watching his dad die again. And that's yeah. one of the best scenes, really, I, I'd say, across all the Trek films. It's a great scene. It gives McCoy a chance to like really stand out also, because McCoy is a great character, but we've never really gotten to know him at that level before, and like seeing him be that mm-hmm. vulnerable. Uh, and of course, DeForest Kelly like, nailed it. Like That scene was great. 
it just yeah. the weight of that scene is not enough to support the weight of the rest of the film <laughs> absolutely and but what does god need a starship for uh, that is the best line the whole thing but yeah it's and it just makes you wish someone could do like a recut and just like cut out all the highlander mad max type villagers get get all that stuff that's just it's impossible to watch without laughing it's like tj hooker level as you're like uh okay uh no you know instant reject doesn't make any sense but yeah it's just like we just have had more of spock in his jet boots or something <laughs> yes and the marshmallow dispenser which is my favorite which they made into an actual piece of merchandise by the way Did they really at the time it was they actually had uh with like craft marshmallows you can get a, a proper star trek 5 marshmallow dispenser it is a worthy investment i'd recommend all of your listeners pick up one right now <laughs> i will do that get that dispenser man get it. Um, and star trek 5 was kind of the beginning of shatner again not just the the dislike amongst his fellow crew members but also just like shatner being like having his head inflated even bigger at a new level that his head was never previously inflated at so for star trek 5 he wanted everything to be different he wanted it to be his great piece of achievement and so in doing so he wanted everything to be quote-unquote unique and in doing so that really just meant having his interests be on display so that he could show off i mean that's why in Star Trek Generations, you see Shatner on a horse because the man loves horses. He, he loves is obsessed them, yeah. with horses. And He's... likewise, you know, he wanted to show off his camping skill, I guess, and other weird things. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I know this is going to be an upcoming episode of my show. I just recently talked to the sound designer on all, really all the motion pictures, and he was talking about his meeting <laughs> with Shatner when they were discussing like what they're going to do for sound and and music <laughs> and such. And uh, the original idea that Shatner had for for the score was no instruments, all voices. Wow. He wanted an acapella soundtrack for Star Trek V. Just let that sink into your head for a second there. Oh, well, he had a chance with uh, Ben Folds and company, but... Hmm. <laughs> well, that is great. I can't wait to hear that. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Oh man! So when uh, when movie ten came out, I I did see some people who saw it just because like their parents were trackheads and or because it was very much it looked like everything else that was out at that time with Matrix and Lord of the Rings type sound mixing and stylish fight scenes and then you know it just I think much like part five just feels like a part Ronberry movie part Shatner improvising. This one feels like a mtv music video with track characters in it but very little you know that come to compare to <laughs> i always appreciate the greenness of the film uh, as you mentioned matrix inspired it's definitely a very green movie and uh you know there, there's a lot of problems with it i think one of the biggest ones really is that it's a berman it's a rick berman film mm -hmm. and uh it reeks of bermanisms unfortunately mm -hmm. and that's i think one of the reasons why the hatred for this movie continues to this day because while there are redeeming factors to it, like, you know, really the, the last half of the film is very exciting to watch. It's just unfortunate that all the things leading up to it are Bermany. And that means like, you know, for example, uh, Troy being mind raped by the Remans, which is yeah, pretty gross. Yeah, what the hell is that about? Yeah. And like... similarly, there's lines also in Insurrection about, you know, like uh, that are just kind of creepy, you know, that the women say. Uh, we're not going to go into that. I feel like on this show, just keep it safe and PG-ish. Yeah, no, but, I get it. No, yeah, there, there's definitely some things that are, that are, are creepy and that were creepy for the era. It's not like it's a thing that doesn't age well today for folks who might be those kinds of, of people. At the time, it was still also pretty cringy in a very bad light. 
And yeah, yeah, this we film has a lot of that. To it, but anyone who had seen it like more than five times might have said, hmm, not sure how I feel about that. You know? And it's not just even the fact that like, uh, you know, the Troy mine rape is horrible. Yes, that's I'm not downplaying that. What's worse is as it continues and Troy tries to like relieve herself of duty, saying, I can't perform my duties because of what happened to me. And Picard says, too bad. Suck it up, buttercup. Get back to work. Yeah. And that's uh, pretty gross for Picard to do, because I, I don't think he would do that. You know, it feels out of character. Not. Totally. He was he was always uh, for the better good, but never to the point of I will put people in jeopardy. You know, he's always been more of a bureaucrat against other bureaucrats saying "Uh, -uh. anyone suffering that is not OK. And like the complaint with generations is that so many lines are switched out uh, carelessly for other characters that they wouldn't necessarily talk like. But it's I think that's more of a they're just trying to get too much done and they just needed a movie to just much like uh the motion picture they just needed a test a test run <laughs> i mean generations is is very bland there's no denying that it's bland mm -hmm. it's very safe is it watchable yeah but you got to be in the mindset to sit through it because it is very slow it's very vanilla it, it's a it's a lot of ups and downs and a lot of extreme up and downs and it's not that it's bad really at any point it's just kind of dull <laughs> yeah and honestly i could do without all the data getting the memory chip even See, to me, that's like one of the better parts of it. Actually. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think that's more interesting because it helps kind of continue to flesh out Data's character. It's important for him to have that since it is a recurring theme throughout the rest of the movies that he's in. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it's more like, you know, they wasted their villain. <laughs> it's like they have this amazing actor playing this villain and he's kind of lame. He's, he's kind of very lame. And there's and, too many things going on. Is like, OK, so who are we following him or the Klingon Duras sisters? Yes. Oh, oh, OK. And it just really feels like it doesn't, I mean, it goes places, but it doesn't really go anywhere important. I mean, so much of it is about Picard. This is a very Captain-centric film because it is meant to be the passing of the torch uh, from Kirk to Picard. It's just mm -hmm. even Kirk's role feels way too big. And yeah, got stories, by the way, if, if any, if you or your audience want to hear more about behind the scenes things from Generations, check out my interview with John Putch because he was uh, one of the actors who actually did TNG twice as a Benzite and he was in Generations and he's got some stories about Shatner. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> John Benside. Okay, nice. I will re-listen. <laughs> yeah, John Putch, who's now gone on to actually, well, he's continued to be a director. He's actually directed a bunch of um, movies with Frakes as an actor, which is kind of fun. Um, so he's gotten quite a career beyond acting. But yeah, um, Generations just struggles at trying to figure out who it's meant to follow and why we should care. Mm -hmm. And it really kind of lacked the impact of a lot of the Trek movies because really our only time spent with the Enterprise for the most part is when it's crashing. I mean, that's like the yeah. most action it really has just when it crashes and people still make fun of Deanna Troy to this day over that. Uh, but, you know, it's not her fault. Uh, well, and it doesn't help that she does it again in movie 10. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, she made up for it in Picard season three. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> this is like everyone that but that's like also like the best way to acknowledge a running gag. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's how you do it right. Because, yeah, you see so many others where, you know. I'm sure everyone is sick of us talking about Shatner, but okay, there's a reason we're bringing it up. It's a matter of he's ham, but like just going just nonstop to where you're just like, okay, come on now. <laughs> this is why your audience should be happy. We didn't go down the entire Shatner book series because, oh man, we'd, we'd be crying. Your audience would just be cutting off their ears. Mm -hmm. Maybe. And, and what's weird though, is I brought it up in a few groups and I saw so many people just oblivious to the camp. They're like, oh, no, I thought it was good. I'm like, okay, you can die on alone on that mountain. <laughs> <laughs> we'll return after these messages. 
Hey, it's Brent Pope, the host of Breakfast with Brent Pope. You've seen me on some of your favorite TV shows saying things like, give it up, Jimmy. You got to sink this putt to win. On Breakfast with Brent Pope, I sit down with guests from the entertainment world and we do it all over breakfast. Or should I say breakfast? Every week on Breakfast, you get inside Hollywood info and tips, great breakfast wrecks and foodie debates. Most of all, you get the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in. It's breakfast time. Listen at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Do you ever find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman? Hi, I'm James Gavsey, and on the Who Would Win show, me and my co-host Ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always, am I the winner? (laughs) Yeah, not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as Captain America versus Darth Vader, Solid Snake versus the Iron Giant, classic matchups like RoboCop versus Terminator, and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. Camp is only good for so long, but if you just keep going, hey, it's all good. It's like, well, it's kind of not all good. We didn't really solve anything. (laughs) Yeah, that is exactly right. Uh, I mean, there's so many other... I'm not even surprised when I see so many B movie actors in this franchise because it kind of just goes head in head. <laughs> well, that's the life of a character actor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but altogether, I mean, uh, do you think the even odd number rule is just kind of dying down a little? Because it seems like half the trackies don't even use it anymore. They're just like, hey, we love it all. They do their best Seth MacFarlane impression. They're just like, hey, I'm just going to keep doing a binge. <laughs> you know, yeah, I think time heals all wounds. That's the best way to put it. And, uh, you know, I say this, too, about Game of Thrones, right? So I really <laughs> enjoyed Game of Thrones. And the entire run was, was you know, something everybody wanted to watch for a reason, because it was a really great television. Then we got to the final season. <laughs> and then we got to the final season. Yeah, it's so... my 24 Sopranos where I'm like, how... Did you guys just go out of your way to piss off your fans? <laughs> yeah. But I'll say this about Game of Thrones and, and why I'm like using this as my example, because, you know, I can now watch the final season of Game of Thrones and enjoy it a lot more because now I know what's coming for me. <laughs> so I know like, OK, after this episode, it's all downhill. <laughs> and I know now yeah, it's going to be stupid. There's a lot of things I'm not going to like, but I can sit here. And now that the shock is away and I know what to expect, I can actually take it in in a lot more realistic light. I can take it in without feeling disappointed because now I know what to expect. And I think it's the same for the Star Trek films for the most part. You know, I I still think uh, Star Trek one is pretty darn dull, but there are redeeming elements to it. Uh, You know, the pajamas they wear are stupid, but I'll tell you, I do do love Kirk's outfit. This is a weird guilty pleasure of mine. I love the outfit that Kirk is wearing. I I love that look. I don't know what it is. I I really dig that. I think it's just because he's so... It's not that he's oblivious. This is kind of like he's just he's just very comfortable. He's leading the way instead it's, of and he's a jerk in that film, too, by the way, which is pretty cool that they actually made Kirk kind of an antagonist as well. Like yeah. Kirk is absolutely an, an awful person in the first film. Um, But yeah, I mean, the, the <laughs> first one is barely even really about him because it's kind of meant to be, you know, that was Shatner's original passing of the torch to Stephen Collins. And that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, the odd even rule, it doesn't really mean as much anymore because now we can go back and we can watch. Star Trek three and enjoy it because it's kind of silly, campy Christopher Lloyd Klingon fun. And there's other yeah. things to enjoy from it. Like, Hey, now we know John Larroquette was in it and we know who John Larroquette is now. Yeah. Um, Star Trek five is still 
bad. The gal, but yeah, oh, yeah. yep, and and uh, and Persis, yeah. Um, Star Trek Five is not great, but you can actually watch it. It's definitely watchable. Um, and again, you know what to expect. So now the movie can't hurt you anymore. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. So really, right. the bad movies, they're not even that bad. They're just not as good as the others. And some of the other ones, to be fair, like, you know, Wrath of Khan and First Contact, those are just really good movies, bar none. The other films are good sci-fi films. And even the odd ones, now we can kind of look at as above average because they're really not bad. They're really not. It's been years since they came out. It's been decades since they came out. So <laughs> we're prepared for the badness and we could actually enjoy it and not feel like it's ruining our Star Trek experience. Because I think that's a big part of it too, is there's an initial bias like, oh, I want this this thing here. I'm expecting this. It didn't deliver. Now I hate this. And we see that with yeah. modern Star Trek too. It's like, oh, I want to see this. I didn't get it. I don't like this because it's not what my headcanon was. Right. So uh, I, I see people even say that after they've rescued Spock and Parker, you don't even need the last 20 minutes. I was like, well, interesting. I kind of want to see him be brought back to life, but I guess it does drag, I guess, if I were to rewatch it. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, it didn't need to go as long as it did. I mean, I guess it was the culmination of him getting his Catra back from McCoy. Um, and it helps set up, I guess, the future that they're planning a fourth movie, whatever that fourth movie was going to be at the time. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I can understand why at the time, you know, I, I know people liked for it, but it was definitely a divisive film because of the content, because it's so darn funny. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, really, there, there's a Star Trek for everyone. And even bad Trek is good Trek. Right. <laughs> Especially the bad Trek. Right. Oh, hell, it, if you were to look at even episodes that you will never watch again, like that, everyone's got their own, you know, favorites. Like there's some Ferengi episodes that kind of get a little too sexist for me. And um, some some episodes where even Alexander or Troy's mom just drive me crazy. I, I will never watch Mass again. I promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> that one scared me as a kid. I tell you what. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, I guess the mask. <laughs> the mask worked. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, listen, as far as like Bad Trek goes, I love Move Along Home and I will stand on that hill. I will die on that hill with, with <laughs> my Klingon honor screams. I will die on that hill. There you go. Uh, but man, um, do you feel like um, just, you know, with this movie special on Section 31 coming out with Michelle Yeoh reprising her Discovery character, uh, what do you think that'll rank in the movies or will it just be just kind of like best of both worlds where it's just edited together as one epic, you know, two part special. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're going to wait and see really, you know, I'm kind of trying to go into most Trek now with just no expectations. And I think that's the best way to do it because if you start building yourself up for something, it's going to lead to failure because it's not going to deliver what you want in your head. It's not going to necessarily deliver what the fans are hoping and expecting. I mean, you look at Picard season three and so many people loved it, but then there's a whole other group that didn't and they really hated it for a number of reasons that are similar to why we liked it. So yeah, with yeah. Section 31, I don't really want to know. I mean, honestly, I, I kind of wish it was a series less than a movie. I think it could be fun to explore that a little bit. But I also don't feel like it's got enough legs to really go that big. Like we don't <laughs> we don't need to have Starfleet Black Ops. I don't I don't really feel like I need to see that. I don't need to have X-Force with Star Trek characters. So I you know, where it goes, like... I hope it's just a reason that Michelle Yeoh gets to kick people in the face. That's kind of all I want to see. That's my only hope is Michelle Yeoh kicks somebody in the head and does a twisting head scissors. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much the same. I hope they deliver kind of another conspiracy plot, kind of like on Discovered Country or Picard and don't do, like you say, just special forces, aliens and predator in space. And it's like, yeah, okay. We already see enough of that in Strange New Worlds. Like literally the Gord are, uh, talking like the predator creature and kind of like the alien where they, you know, latch onto you. <laughs> so, 
I mean, like what I would love, well, no, I don't want to say what I'd love to see, but I mean, and I, I, I even am afraid to say what I'd like to see, but like something that could be kind of fun could be kind of what we saw in some, some uh, other new track recently, which could be, you know, section 31 can be like the flash right now, you know, where it's exploring oh. the different multiverses and jumping around different universes. Like that could yeah. be kind of interesting. And it would also open up to a lot of fan service and a lot of fun cameos, but that could also be, you know, criticized for being too reliant on that fan service and those cameos like we saw with picard and some of the pundits didn't like those things so mm -hmm. that's why again like you know this is something that i would like to see because it could be fun but i also know that there's a reason why i'm not a paid tv writer and i'm willing to give the job to someone else so i could at the very least compliment them if they do a good job and complain if they don't later right uh, something instead of just you know back and forth and back and forth and back and forth <laughs> right precisely uh it's very repetitive real fast and uh, all together, um, which one do you think will actually make like the top? If they were to do the IMDb top two fifty, which one do you think would go in there? You think it'd be first Kondag or Khan? Definitely Khan, because Khan influenced so many other things after it, and Khan really was effects. the hard reset. Yeah, the, motion, the motion picture was, like I said, it was trying to be something that never got off the ground. And that's what it was. It was meant to be a launching pad for Phase 2. Star Trek 2 was really the beginning of the movies proper, if you really want to break it down. Because, let's be honest, none of the effects of the motion picture really matter beyond the motion picture. Right. <laughs> they really don't. Like, in the comics, yeah, some of it matters a bit more, but no, there's really nothing. So, you look at Star Trek 2, that's where things really began. And the fact is, it's a real movie. That's the best way to put it. It's an actual, honest-to-goodness movie. I mean, there's a lot of depth to it also, and that's what makes people enjoy it. You know, I, I have like books on the screenwriting and how to write screenplays. I'm sure a lot of folks out there do. And uh, Wrath of Khan is one of those films that's in all the textbooks. And it's there for a reason. It's there because it's got great subtext. It has great plotting. It has great pacing. Uh, it tells you everything you need to know. It sets everything up that needs to be set up. So, you know, it's definitely up there. Like this is, well, actually, I was going to say this is the Star Trek film that will be on TCM. But it actually already has been on TCM. So there you go. That's how you know it's a classic. It's already been on TCM. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> I believe it has. Yeah, I think it's the only one to get that treatment so far. Wow. Okay. Well. I could be wrong on that, but, uh, you know, for the most part, either way, it doesn't matter because I promise you it will end up there. If, if Enter the Dragon has made it onto TCM, then Wrath of Khan is not far behind it. Man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh <laughs> if that's going to be TCM, I, I hope part four gets shown on there at one point. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, in yeah, probably 20, 30 years from now, they'll do like a Star Trek marathon day. That, that'll be what happens most likely. But hey, that's the fun thing about all these movies now is the rights are up in the air and you can like tune into HBO and watch them. You can see them on Paramount Plus, hopefully soon again. Uh, I know like Comet shows them on TV. They're everywhere. They're out there now and you can enjoy them pain free because you're not spending money to go rent a VHS. You're not really spending money to go sit in a theater. You can just watch them on, on the internet or on cable or wherever. So no one gets hurt anymore. That, that's kind of the moral of the story here is the Star Trek movies that are bad cannot hurt you anymore. <laughs> You're free. <laughs> Even the various different cuts. Uh, you know, some people complain about part six, giving away who all the various villains are. Me personally, that's that movie's so dense. I don't mind it at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's wrong with Columbo and Star Trek having a baby, right? There you go. Murder, she wrote. Yeah. In space and. I, I always see people call it the Scooby-Doo plot twist. I'm like, well, see, there's we're so many rewrites trying to make everybody happy. Vermin, uh, Roddenberry on his dying bed, and it, it just test screenings for the audience. And it is so wild, too, how 
Ernie Albert Jonas is playing one of the crooked admirals dressed as a Klingon assassin. It's just so funny how it, it for years he had, you know, he didn't even realize he was going to return to the track franchise. And he's just, that convention. He's like, oh, really? Oh, that's on VHS? Oh, okay. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> um, and, and that's kind of the funny thing, too, about Star Trek Six is uh, a lot of people would probably consider that also to be like a very long episode of Star Trek, but yeah. it feels more like a movie. I think I think Star Trek Six feels much more like a movie than Insurrection does. Absolutely, especially later seasons of DS Nine that have a lot of conspiracies. But it is interesting how it you know it's an even bigger uh, mystery opus for um, uh, the director as well as uh, <laughs> they they just now remastered that director's cut as a 4k so i'm like ah oh, dang it i don't have a 4k but i'd love to see <laughs> the remastered blu-ray version of that what do i do <laughs> oh but yeah he uh if anything many it, it, tony gilroy is kind of doing a similar thing by joining the star wars saga you know <laughs> <laughs> he's not trying to make a star wars entry he's trying to make a spy movie that happens to have some star wars locations you know <laughs> that's, that's not a bad way to do it either yeah, it just seems like, I don't know, it's just like, like I say, people grab onto stuff and you don't know how much of it is just uh, very, very picky. <laughs> yeah, fandoms are not known to be anything other than fickle, so yeah, that's how it goes. But really, there is a Star Trek movie for everybody, no matter what you want out of the franchise. You can find what you're looking for, just pick any of them, and I guarantee you it's got what you're looking for. Just play nice, but yeah. And who would you like to see as a future Starfleet captain in some way? Hmm, tough question. Uh, <laughs> now we're looking real big. I mean, yeah. I'll admit I never expected Anson Mount because you know he just he had done so many villain roles and been on a bunch of legal stuff. I was like, really? Okay, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's kind of the thing about acting in general is you you really never know who's going to be good for it. I mean, you know, Strange New Worlds right now everybody's complaining about who the new Kirk is. But, uh, you yeah, know, because he's uh, it's so I, funny. They started out saying, hey, it's probably the best of the new ones. And then they just find something. And it's like it, it, when there's a pothole in the road, you drive around instead of just sitting there complaining at it. Damn you, road. Why won't you fix yourself? You know? <laughs> and I feel like it's a whole other tangent we can go on into if we want to do a Strange New Worlds episode one day together. But uh, I, I oh, will sure. say, you know, uh, Kirk in Stranger Worlds will get better. That's about all I can really say. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't really even know if, if I'd want to like pick somebody, you know, like a name out of a hat or something, because you never know who could actually be the right choice for a Starfleet person. And look at the, the amazing list of folks who have crossed paths with Trek already, you know, so yeah, uh, I, I, I came back. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, I just wanted to say fuck the prime directive at least once. <laughs> I mean, there's folks who I think would be funny to see in a Star Trek uniform, um, but you know, like, like, who wouldn't want to see Ray Romano as a captain? Ooh. The answer is that. nobody. Nobody wants to see Ray Romano as a captain, but it would be hilarious oh. as, like, a, a, a short trek. I could see him as an alien, though. He would be a very easy alien. No just makeup change required. his voice a bit and just, you know, instead of, you know, make him less Ernie and Bert sounding and make him more <laughs> just, I don't know, just make him more like a Ferengi, like. You you could make you maybe do what they did with Iggy Pop in that one DS9 episode where it's like the entire time you're like, hmm, this is kind of atypical. And seriously, where do I know that voice from? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing David Spade as a Frankie. Now that would be a Frankie. Whoa, okay. Hey. You know what? 
I'm gonna add Jack Black to this list. Yeah, that's <laughs> a clean on. Oh, that or do you remember that first season episode Next Gen where uh, there's that one Han Solo kind of guy who fell in love with a princess or some shit? <laughs> oh yeah, and then season two, the outrageous Okona. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. My bad. Okay, yeah. Sorry, guys. I got the season wrong, and then one Jeez. or two. Kind of... I know I'm the worst, but I'd love to see Black as just like some kind of space pirate or something. But yeah, you can make him half Klingon, half uh, hell Romulan. How about that? I mean, Frazier. And then he joined the list of other actors who have done both wars and track. <laughs> exactly. I mean, hey, we got Rain Wilson as Harry Mudd. Why not bring in Jack Black? Oh, you know what? I would actually pay to see a Harry Mudd. Uh, it'd be too much, but imagine him and Q as smugglers in space get their own sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> i don't think we're ready for that <laughs> no universe is ready for that yet maybe not i'd at least pay to see it like as done the style robot chicken just with even more yeah. sarcasm like but it'd be essentially like lower decks where you're canon but you're also in animated form just mocking everyone's like hey seriously why do we pull our you know velvet shirts down like this it makes no sense you know? yeah <laughs> it's just something we did and we kept doing until the show ended <laughs> Because the only way to adjust anything in those outfits. Yeah. <laughs> well, once you've done it, you can't reboot it and rewrite it unless you got a good reason. But then again, well, I think you can, <laughs> especially if you're going to just randomly insert, I don't know, a uh, romance that came out of nowhere, like, uh, I don't know, Chakotay and 709 or Troy and Worf. Yeah. Where, where did that come from? <laughs> I, I definitely felt more okay with Troy and Worf than I did with Chakotay doing any kind of romance stuff with 709. <laughs> Yeah, first he's going after Janeway. He's like, oh, you're good. And then he's like, what? What? <laughs> Becoming a soap opera. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was not a fan of that stuff. I can't blame you. And then we're going to be starting on the holodeck stuff sometimes in any of those shows. It's like, oh, Lord. And <laughs> there, does anyone have like a password protection on the holodeck saying, okay, no R-rated stuff? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to know how they clean those places up. Oh. <laughs> Well, this has been a delight, my dude, and a long time in the making. And uh, any characters you'd like to see more of before uh, let's promote more. I mean, as far as Strange New Worlds go and really any of the other shows coming up, uh, I'm open to anybody, really. I mean, it's a big universe. There's plenty of folks we don't know yet. Uh, of course, I wouldn't mind seeing more Frankie, though. I would like to have more Frankie representation in my Star Trek universe. <laughs> and there's a lot of fun folks who could as get in that makeup. As long as they're not half naked or stealing shit on the, on a ship, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, they should be at least stealing things. That's at the very least. They should I mean, be they can stuff, steal, but, yeah. but don't don't have it be the entire episode where it's like it's diehard on a ship. It's like, okay, well, this is about as threatening as I don't know, Kirk finding some Klingons and triples. <laughs> I mean, you may not remember. There's actually an episode of Enterprise that is a bunch That's of. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, you know that one. Yeah, I let him yeah. get away with it because it's at least Clint Howard. But there are other ones where he's like. I mean, I had more fun with them in Next Gen because they were kind of just more like rascals where they just get it roasted. And, and <laughs> they were pretty ineffectual at that point, but uh, the, the Enterprise episode is is a pretty good one for season one. I will admit that's actually one of the better ones season one. If if you like the Frankie episodes, which Plus I... they hide the dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that is definitely Die Hard on a Spaceship. <laughs> with the worst possible terrorists. Yep. <laughs> no Hans Gruber's here. I want... Well, you know... I would have liked to see a Hans Gruber equivalent. We kind of have yet to see that. I guess with some of the British villains, you kind of get that, especially with Christopher Plummer, but it would have been so awesome to just see someone who had kind of a twisted comic book plan. 
they could probably embrace other video game and other Apple Microsoft looking technology that they already predicted, but I don't know where they go from here. Uh, they could probably even talk. Maybe they could even allude to how AI is bad. <laughs> oh, Discovery already did that in season two. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Been there. <laughs> Been there. Uh, just maybe it'd be too in our face at this point. Maybe they yeah. could talk about work unions at this point. <laughs> I mean, that's why I think Star Trek has kind of gone more in the direction of, of humanity and less in technology because tech's catching up too quickly to Star Trek now. Absolutely. Uh, we, we were watching the newest season of Mon- DeLorean. I was like, see, this is fun. But I never like politics and Star Wars as much because it's kind of like more ineffective Babylon 5 stuff where everyone's just kind of on their high horse and kind of ends it with, and uh, this land's mine. (laughs) (laughs) And I work for the UN. Vote for me later. And I'm a king on this deserted island or planet. And uh, track is pretty much like the actual Senate committee and everyone's pressed for time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, they're pretty much the Pentagon. <laughs> but uh, you know what? I would actually pay to see a West Wing Star Trek equivalent. <laughs> what goes into being the president of Starfleet. <laughs> yeah, that's something we haven't really seen too much of. We saw a little bit of it in the movies, but we haven't really seen too much of what the, the actual bureaucratic nonsense is like Abrams in Starfleet give, give Stacey Abrams another excuse to get her SAG card. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> get those royalties, girl. Yeah, <laughs> girl. Hey, you know what? If we even really want to make this even more meta, we'd put Beto O'Rourke, <laughs> Alexandra Cortez, and maybe even Corey Bush in there. <laughs> and AOC would just piss off so many Trek fans. It would be amazing. I would love to see it happen. There you go. <laughs> she was if on, anybody like... is Trek, it's totally AOC. <laughs> right? They are progressive as hell. Uh, so um, I don't want you to give too much away because, you know, who doesn't love a surprise from you? You're, you're, you've always, I never know what direction's going. And even when I approach the guest and you got the summary, I still don't even know where they're going to go. And sometimes they even go, hey, you know, I never kept up with it. I've only seen my demo reel footage, but I respect it. I answer, I quote the episode for fans. You know, it's interesting seeing the evolution of acceptance because it makes you even wonder how many of them could have literally just breathed in the Shatner's ears like, enjoy the ride. You'll be forgotten soon. <laughs> As we launch Shatner off into space. Yeah, you're right. Uh, that's kind of one thing I will respect him for. Is like, at least he could actually say he, you know, he didn't captain a ship, but he at least cruised through there and went all method acting. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, why did it take you 30 years to do that shit, too? <laughs> I mean, as of now, he's the only living Starfleet captain going to space, though. So that's that's a heck of an achievement. Can't take that away. Yeah, Patrick Stewart's not going to do that. Avery Brooks is teaching acting and... I'm pretty sure Kate McGrew is going to just stick with voice acting in miniseries guest spots. (laughs) I mean, she's writing some good books also. I mean, yeah, no no one might do it, but I doubt it. (laughs) I mean, no one needs the attention more except uh, other than Shatner, right? So yeah, let let him do whatever he wants. I'll have him go right off onto a horseback on Mars. It's fine. (laughs) Do you kind of wish they could have explored Mars and some of the other real life planets even more? Seems like they just were like, nah, it's too, you know, we don't want to misrepresent an actual planet in a sci-fi Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I think you you, uh, hit the nail on the head there. Like, we already know what's on these planets in our solar system. They're not that exciting. (laughs) (laughs) They're cold. Water crystals, we're good. Yeah. It's like, they're they're cold. They're not that exciting. We we, we need to get some cool stuff out there, so we better go beyond our solar system. (laughs) I do wonder what some of the writers will do next. I did hear a recent... uh, Inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum, where Katie Sackhoff said she wanted to reunite with Ronald D. Moore, and it didn't even have to be sci-fi. I've heard rumors about what Naren Shankar, who 
wrote some of the best episodes of The Outer Limits and Vashora and Expanse, but before that, he wrote a lot of the data-centric episodes, and I do wonder what their next pet project would be. Because, hmm. you know, they're getting up there too, and I'm worried that we'll be back to square one like we were in the 60s and 70s where sci-fi was kind of C-list, like Buck Rogers, where critics secretly liked it even though they were on record as saying it sucked and audiences <laughs> loved it and watched it every night with their parents and siblings and so i am wondering what's going to be the next one because like apple's kind of conquered some of it paramount's even trying to do some other sci-fi fantasy stuff amazon's taking a chance but it can't always be streaming either but at the same time it kind of has to be streaming because that's another common complaint i see everyone's like if it was that greatest star trek show and confident it would go on tv it's like uh no, because Star Trek almost always gets canceled when it's on network TV. That is very true. It's got a lot more freedom when it's on Paramount Plus. Yeah, it's just, people leave you alone for whatever reason, and they can even wait two years before they even renew you instead of pulling a Netflix and saying, "Guess what, guys? We're just as bad as the networks." <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's more freedom to do things, and uh, you're not necessarily taking your time, but you have a captive audience when you're on a streaming platform. Oh, totally. And I, I, I hope IMDb can just. Maybe, I don't know, have a 72-hour delay on reviews because it does seem like, you know, instantly, I mean, I look at some of these other procedurals that are starting their own franchises and always the pilot gets you, the actor's not there yet and a little nervous, not quite convincing, and then by episode three, they're finally, or at the end of the season, they're finally functioning, they got better scripts that are a little syndicated, and it's interesting how everyone even varies now in serialization and how many chances they're going to give on a show before they quick the eject, uh, put the eject button. <laughs> yeah. And I personally, I've been enjoying severance on, uh, on Apple's thingy. That's a good contrast. Yeah. Dark comedy is also hard to do, let alone it's kind dark. of psychological horror, even though it's not gory. You know? It's like dark comedy, sci-fi thriller. It's, it's pretty interesting stuff. So so, I mean, yeah, sci-fi. Uh... There's someone you can get, Ben Stiller, as a. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he'd probably do it, and he'd probably be bearded up. <laughs> and let's not forget, Adam Scott was in Star Trek. He was in First yes, Contact. Yes, he was. And what's funny is he's also in Hellraiser 4 that same year. And I'm surprised no one has found that that plot is surprisingly very similar to First Contact. <laughs> They're encountering <laughs> some ancestors and going back in time <laughs> just to stop the evil, let alone how the Borg in that version were kind of considered very Cenobite pinhead looking. <laughs> I mean, every every few uh, years or so, the time travel thing comes back as a major plot point. I mean, it's I think it's in again right now. So that's what happens. It comes and goes. There's only so many places sci-fi can ultimately go to. And right now it's it's multiverses, which also means time travel. So yeah. it's like, you know, hey, you get to do all the things now with the way the whole multiverse is in every single movie. You think all the I, mean, multiverse... I, can't wait, I can't wait for the, the Beverly Hills 90210 multiverse to clash. <laughs> Say by the Bell multiverse. There so here go. comes the new class. 90210. <laughs> and don't have you ever heard of the Val Verde saga? No, I don't think I have. Would you like to know? Uh, do I dare? Do I want to? It'll kind of amuse you. It's more bonkers than the St. Elsewhere Law and Order universe. But. <laughs> instead of just being cute and creators you know making nods to each other that are meta like that like this was like very intentional like a lot of it was productions that were for warner brothers and fox that were by joel silver and writer steven d'souza and valverde first appeared 
in the movie Predator. It was on name, but it was kind of mentioned in the novelization and as well as spinoff material, like the video games and comic books. And so, as you know, that crossover with the alien, Ridley Scott, and you know, good old Ridley, Mr. Bean, controversial Scott, and yep. implied that the Wayland Yatundi company uh, also makes the cyborgs in Blade Runner, which confirmed fans' theories. To make it even more meta, James Cameron implies in his unused draft for Aliens that uh, one of them was actually a corporate uh, one for Cyberdyne, the original Skynet, <laughs> his Terminator films. And so it just keeps getting even more meta, meta, meta. But Valverde is just interesting because it's just it's just a fictional country. It's the Sousa just kept using. He used it in Die Hard 2, so that connects that universe. He used it in Commando. And to make it even more wild, the Pacific Transportation in the Die Hard movies is also used in the Speed movies because same production <laughs> designers. <laughs> and then to make it even more meta, like Terminator crossed over with Robocop and video games and everything. And Edward James Olmos and Ronald D. Moore are such big fans of Blade Runner, let alone how almost was in that, that they used the same guns and used a lot of same dialect implying that Blade Runner and <laughs> Battlestar are in the same universe. So yeah. <laughs> and then Firefly has its own Easter eggs as well. So it's just, it's an interesting one because for the most part, when you look back at it, you're like, you know what? That's actually pretty fucking a cool universe that they got there. <laughs> I'll take it. That's the original cinematic universe. But yeah, no, it's interesting how you brought up the multiverse because it seems like Twilight Zone and Doctor Who and Star Trek kind of introduced it. And now Marvel and DC kind of did it in comics, but now they were comfortable and able to do it coherently in movie form. <laughs> it took a lot of work to get there, but they pulled it off. It took so much, but, you know, at least they did... Uh, I kind of even felt like uh, what was the big giant crossover they did on those shows? Probably the only thing you really need to see if you're not big on the CW shows. Um, oh, the uh, Crisis? Yeah, Crisis on Infinite Earths. It seems like that was kind of testing the waters, and then it's just you kind of got the gist. is like, okay, well, Marvel's confident in doing it. I think we can now finally jump ship without sinking now. <laughs> yeah, now this has been so cool having you on, man, because it has been a long time coming, and it's not easy to discuss stuff like this because you know we never know where it's going to go and uh, the, the fan base always varies but at, at the end of the day i don't think anyone regrets being part of it <laughs> so no never heard a single person who's uh ever been like man i wish i didn't do star trek i've never seen anyone say i threw away my action figures uh, almost all of them pretty much gave it to their nephews or had it as kind of a funny amusing just riff you know, I, I see so many Halloween fans want to argue for days and Star Wars guys just keep shit talking or say, I don't even like the movies, I like the video games so I can troll people online. It's like, good Lord. <laughs> I mean, the nice thing about the Star Trek movies at the end of the day is if you don't really want to get into devoting yourself to watching all seasons of all the shows, you can at least enjoy the movies. It's self-contained. You don't really need to know that much about exactly. the shows. So. Yeah, it's it's a good starting place. And even if you don't want to go beyond it, it's still a fun time. You can watch one of the two parters on a VHS at a library and then go and watch one of the other movie follow ups. I even see people making the inference that, oh, you got to see Space Seed or you got to see, you know, before you see Kong or you got to see Best of Both Worlds before you see First Contact. It's like, you can do that. But the best part about it is you didn't have to worry about having to. <laughs> yeah. And Wrath of Khan in the movie, they basically build in that you don't even need to see Space Seed. <laughs> it's built into the first two minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Uh, uh, as Fleetwood Mac said, you can go your own way. <laughs> <laughs> There's a landslide of Star Trek to be watched. <laughs> 
took my phaser, threw it away. <laughs> That's the Spock maneuver. <laughs> I, don't need, I don't need a gun. <laughs> or better yet, I'll use a chop. Um, uh, you're always busy like no tomorrow, and you got numerous interviews still ahead of you. Um, which ones would you actually care to hint that are around the corner? Uh, well, there's there's definitely a lot coming up. I mean, I'm I'm currently recording for my next season of shows, and uh, I can tell you guys it's a good mix of a lot of actors, a lot of other folks. Uh, I'm going to leave it at that for now, and also a good amount of behind the scenes people. So you know, we're we're definitely hitting on folks who haven't talked in a very long time, some who haven't really talked ever. Uh, that's been kind of <laughs> my really that's been my big thing in, in this past season of shows was I had a lot of folks who had never talked to anybody about their Star Trek experiences. Period. Yeah. I mean, one of my one of my shining shows was the Carol Selman episode. If you, if you want to talk about Bad Trek. Carol is the guest star in the TNG episode Code of Honor, and most <laughs> fans will know Code of Honor is a pretty stinky episode. Well, mm-hmm. for the first time ever, Carol, who played Yurina, she's telling her side of the story. So it's pretty cool to hear that, and that's what I've been trying to do with the show is get a good mix of folks who you know, you've seen a lot of things and you've heard before, but others who've never heard at all from. So there's going to be more of that. And, uh, you know, I've still got episodes right now going through the summer. There'll be more throughout the summer and starting with some more in the fall. We never stop. So for anybody who wants to uh, listen to some Trek Untold or watch Trek Untold, uh, the show is available on all major audio platforms, whether you got Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or Audible or whatever else I'm missing. It's on all the things. And if you prefer to watch it in video format, we're on video as well on youtube.com slash at Trek Untold. And if you want to just follow me and check out who's coming up in the show next, or also just look at all my fun Star Trek memes, uh, just follow me <laughs> at Trek Untold on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. Absolutely. Give the man a hand. He works his butt off just trying to make all the social media and recordings to sound as excellent as they are, and let alone just remind everyone, hey, you know, just, there's a story in all of us, fame or not, embracing it or not, and uh, just to see you be just so brave at even doing this. I see so many people who are like, I want to talk to people, but I don't know how to interview them. It's like, well, I mean, literally write down like what you would never want to, you wouldn't ever want to be asked. So, you know, <laughs> that's the first one that comes out and then go from there is like, what do you just have to absolutely ask them about that would reveal some significant, like even IMDB worthy trivia. <laughs> I mean, there's an art to being a good interviewer and it's one I am learning as I go along with. But uh, yeah, for anybody who does want to do that, really, it just takes they first time just asking, asking the simple questions and start there and build your way up. They're pretty good at opening up with you because, I mean, you don't overwhelm them. I, I can tell you just kind of prep them ahead of time. It's like, hey, how big are you on this franchise? He's like, okay, casual. Okay, I'm not going to overwhelm you and ask you, you know, and you do good at just kind of doing the basics. It's like, what was in the script originally? You know, it's like, that's the best way to just let any performer out instead of, hey, you know, uh, this and that this is a theory on this internet uh do you know about that yeah. it's like that they've been working since the 70s they're probably not on the internet <laughs> yeah and truth be told most of these guests i talk to there's no prep time beforehand there's very few i get to do any pre-interviewing with it's very 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 rare i'd say it's like out of the 150 i've done like five and mostly <laughs> those five were because they had like concerns related to like they hadn't done podcasting before or they might right. have like uh you know like I've got one guest coming up who has a bit of a disability. So like they were worried about, you know, if that would affect the interview. So we wanted to, you know, plan and, and make sure they're comfortable with what they're doing. But for the most part, uh, there's no prep. I mean, no, I do all the prep. They have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I come in, I do my homework and we take it from there and I see how the guest is feeling, how they want to do things. And they kind of dictate how we move along. So that that's kind of the key is, you know, you come in with, with what you want to do, but you got to be flexible to what they want to do. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Well, and I applaud you for just, again, just climbing one mountain at a time and just making each one stand out in its own tropical way. So thank you. Thank you. I've climbed Mount Franks so far. Now I got to climb Mount Stewart one day. <laughs> that sounds terrible in retrospect, but I'm going to leave it in. It's fine. <laughs> hey, man. All right. Whichever captain invited you to the ball game, that's good enough. <laughs> Play ball. Play ball. <laughs> Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a